All right, last week we took a little break from our series in 1 Corinthians, uh, for one thing, to look at Psalm 5, to get a little break from, uh, from this same subject matter, because I wanted to come back to it and see if, we could, uh, if it could be a little fresher if we came back at it. And to be honest, I wanted to take a, a little extra time to look at 1 Corinthians 14. So we're getting close to the end of the book, and I really hope that you've learned a lot from this study. More than that, I really hope uh, that this is going to change the way that you approach doing church. I know that's a big thing to ask for because we've been doing the same thing in the same culture of church for as long as we've been alive. The problem is some of those things that we've been doing are not biblical. They are just recent American traditions. Now, I'm, I love American traditions unless they are unbiblical and they've crept into the church, and then I don't like them. So I hope that this study will make a difference in your life. Otherwise, this is much ado about nothing. Paul has made it abundantly clear that you are part of the body. And the body doesn't function well if its parts are dead weight. Every single part of the body has a function. Now some of those are less visible but we know they are very important. You know, we discussed how uh, you may have kidneys that are functioning just fine and you don't think about them, you don't worry about them. But when they cease functioning, you cease functioning, right? So these parts of the body that we don't necessarily see, nevertheless, are very important. And God has assigned to you a part of the body of West Laurel Baptist Church. And we want you to... Function in that role. Now, with the possible uh, exception of your, if you're an appendix, right? Because what's an appendix do? Not, not much until you get something wrong with it, and then it blows up and kills the whole body, right? So that's not what you're called to do. But otherwise, you are called to be a functioning part of the body of West Laurel Baptist Church. And I hope that we'll see that through our study, but not only that we'll see it, but that we'll do something about it. You may ask how to fulfill your function, and here's how. What we do is we take the body, we take instructions from the head of the church. Now, who is the head of the church? Is it the pastor? No. Is it the ministry advisory team? No. Is it the deacons? No. It is Jesus. So we do what he says through the gifts of the Spirit. Now, as the under-shepherd and the, and the leadership structure that you have voted into place, then there are certain things that the pastor and the ministry advisory team uh, will do. You know, they'll certainly be instrumental in figuring out how to implement the plan. But Jesus is the one who came up with a plan that we are to execute. The plan is as follows, and if you've heard this and haven't memorized it yet, give me a little while longer as pastor here and you will have memorized it. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen through 20 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now the reason that Paul wrote about the gifts of the Spirit and the reason that we are taking the time and effort to study the gifts of the Spirit 
is that they're to be used to carry out the Great Commission. The Corinthians had lost perspective on these gifts. They were focusing on the gifts themselves rather than the reason for the gifts and the goal of the gifts. Let's not make the same mistake. So as we read this passage today, please keep in mind the reason for the gifts and the goal of the gifts. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 14 if you're not there already. And we will read verses 1 through 19. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding. And that's, that's a weird word. In your translation, it may say strengthening or edification. And encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church, the church may be built up. Now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves... If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving When he does not know what you are saying. For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Pray with me. Lord, would you give me the words to instruct others that we might be clear in our understanding of what you say. Father, I want you to instruct. I simply want to uh, give voice to these instructions. So, Father, teach through me and teach me. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So, what are the priorities laid out here in this chapter? Now, we didn't read the whole chapter And uh, we're probably going to go back next week and revisit some of this business about tongues. Because I know that some of you are thinking, well, some people think that tongues is a manifestation of the Spirit that is given today. When I went to the prayer rally, um, 
the March for Jesus prayer rally, I was asked to pray there. Uh, there was a lady who was walking around saying some stuff I didn't understand, and I don't think she, was, she understood either, um, but she was walking around making noise, and I'm not going to imitate because I would be accused of making fun. Uh, so she was walking around doing that, and uh, then she also said, the Lord gave me a word for today, and she said that uh, the word for today was that if you persevere to the end, you'll be saved. And then she said, some of y'all could have got tired. It was hot out here. Some of y'all could have gotten tired and stopped halfway through our walk. Now, I don't think that when Matthew wrote that, he was saying that if you get tired halfway through the march for Jesus, you won't be saved. But if you continue to march for Jesus all the way around the two blocks, you'll be saved, right? That's not what Matthew was talking about. And so uh, the the scripture that was clearly written was misinterpreted and misapplied. And then she was claiming to have further revelation that she was speaking in tongues. So we need to look at this kind of thing and say, is speaking in tongues something that we should be doing? Is it something we shouldn't be doing? Is it a gift that only the most spiritual have? I'm not going to address any of that this week, but I'll probably talk about it next week. So what are the priorities for West Laurel Baptist Church that we learn from studying this passage? The first is love. Verse 1 says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening and encouragement and consolation. Now, if you're building me up or strengthening me or encouraging me or consoling me, that means that you are actively loving me. You know, when Paul says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, he's not changing subject weirdly mid-sentence. Because first of all, he's saying, pursue love, And then he says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So what do those two have to do with each other? He is saying, desire these gifts so that they can be used to strengthen, encourage, console, in other words, love the church. 1 Peter 4, 8 says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. I'm going to irritate some of you at some point, uh, if I've not already done so. I may irritate some of you every week, I don't know. (laughs) But if you know that I love you individually, and if you know that I love West Laurel Baptist Church, you're probably going to get over those things that irritate you, right? The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. So hopefully I'm not going to actively sin against you. I'm not going to, you know, slander you or lie about you or something. But those sins and those irritations can be gotten over if there is love to cover them. You know, we need to assume the best about each other. Uh, I won't do it up here while preaching, but my English teacher, when I was a senior in high school, wrote the word assume out on the blackboard and talked about what happens when you assume, and you're probably familiar with that. Um, So we don't want to assume bad things about each other. We want to assume good things about each other. You know, if if you have a funeral that you have to attend and and you say, why didn't the pastor show up? 
Well, you can assume one of two things. You can assume, well, he may have had a prior commitment like taking his kids to work or he might be sick or who knows. Or you can assume he's a jerk and he doesn't like me and he doesn't care about my loss, right? So we need to be careful to assume the best things about each other. Now, might not always be true, but it's safe to assume on the charitable side. You may be thinking that you don't know people here well enough to love them like that. if, If you're thinking that, then I have a solution for you. And that is that you should join a small group. It is the best way that I know of to form truly deep and lasting relationships within the body. All right, if you're thinking that you have already gotten those relationships, so you don't need to join a small group, then let me challenge you to think about somebody beside yourself. Because there are people here who are lonely and who long for those type of relationships. At the church where I was previously, we started a small group And a woman came who was not particularly interested in Scripture, was not particularly interested in the church, but she was very interested in meeting together with people. She was a widow, and she was lonely. And so when my friend that hosted this small group went across the street to her and said, would you like to come and meet with us and have dinner with us and we'll study the Scripture together, she came. Okay, because she wanted people, she wanted community, she wanted relationships. And through that, um, years of discipleship have occurred because she wanted to be around people. And she got around, by God's providence, the right kind of folks that could lead her and her relationship closer to Jesus. So again, if you're thinking, well, I don't need a small group. It's not necessarily about you. Maybe a small group needs you. Maybe your neighbor needs you to have one so that you can invite them over. There's one meeting tonight at 6 o'clock at Drew and Deanne Smith's house. You are invited. They may kill me later, but I, I'll, I won't eat. If you come, you can have my food, okay? Now, let me tell you, here's why you're invited. Um, this is a good small group. It's got... Uh, Drew and Deanne and the Jackson family and the other Smith, the more senior Smith family. And so these are good folks that I love and that I look forward to being around. And you would too if you'd come join us. So come on tonight, 6 o'clock, Drew and Deanne's house. If you don't know how to get there, ask them or ask me. You have to get close to people in order to love them. But one of our priorities, if we're really going to take our marching orders from the head of the church, has to be love. Love for one another in here and love for those outside the church as well. You know, it's easier to love people that look like us and think like us and vote like us. And we are called to love them, but we're also called to love those who do not. So love is a huge priority. All of chapter 13 was about love, and the beginning of chapter 14 is about love. But then we need to prioritize others over ourselves. Verse 4 says, The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. 
The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation? So he's saying, how will I benefit you, the church, unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? In other words, if I stand up here on Sunday morning and babble unintelligibly like I do when I say that word, and the, how is that going to benefit you? It's not, right? I can get up here and act spiritual and act like I'm having some rapturous uh, communion with God, but if it's not instructing the church, then Paul's saying, what in the world good is that? That's what the Corinthians were doing, and Paul wants them to realize that that is nothing more than self-indulgent foolishness. Verse 9 says, So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. So do you see how he's saying we need to not prioritize ourselves. We need to prioritize others before ourselves. We need to, we need to worry about the good of the whole body rather than what makes us look good. Putting other people's needs before yours is hard, isn't it? (laughs) If you're married, you've had to try to do that, and you've probably succeeded some of the time and failed some of the time like every other married person. You know, if you have kids, there's a lot of times when you say, hey, I can use this money for something I want, or no, I can use this money for the kids' education, or, oh, speaking of which, praise God for scholarships. Thank y'all. Uh, so so we, can, we can prioritize others before we ourselves at home and we should and if you do that I applaud you but we're supposed to do that with our church family as well it's not easy I know it but it's what we're called to I wonder sometimes uh, when I'm up here if you guys realize I know you can see me but I wonder if you realize that I can see you too because uh, sometimes funny things will happen uh, we'll have somebody go like this and look at their watch, you know, and they could look at their watch down here, right? But if it's, uh, if it's 11.32 or 33, all of a sudden you have to hold your watch up like this and check it out. Now, I realize that people do that so that I can see them do that so that I'll know that my time is gone and I should hurry. But when you make a show of that kind of thing, it, it just... Stop, okay? Stop because consider the fact that somebody around you might need to hear something from the Word of God, right? And so if it's 1131 and you are dying and you have to go, just get up and leave. It's okay. It's okay. But otherwise, let's enjoy being in here and fellowshipping around the worship of the Word. You know, there are a lot of folks that would watch a football game and if their favorite team is trying to, trying to come back and get the victory, they're never going to say, oh, I 
can't believe this thing's going into overtime. I had something scheduled at 3.31, and here it is. This game's going to go into overtime. Nobody says that. You know why? Because they like the game. They care what happens, and they want to be there. So let's consider having that attitude toward worship, guys. Uh, I know that you need fed. I understand that. But I also know that it's not going to kill you if we're a couple of minutes late. So just relax and enjoy. Consider the welfare of others. Uh, Did Jimmy not do a song that you thought he should? You'll be okay. Maybe he did a song that he will use to strengthen or encourage or console somebody else. Do you have enough friends that you don't need to join a small group? Are you so learned that you don't need the discipleship aspect of small group? Well, somebody else may need you to be their friend or may need you to share that knowledge for their strengthening for their encouragement, for their consolation. So just do it anyway. Prioritize others over self. Our next priority needs to be worshiping with our minds and our spirits. Guys, this is a big deal. Um, There are denominations who are known for worshiping uh, in in spirit. You know, you, you can look at our more contemporary churches and our more... Um, you know, Hillsong kind of groups, and they're known for their fervent, excited, passionate worship, and they are not known for their solid theology, at least when it comes to Hillsong. Then you have uh, the Presbyterian Church, uh, for instance, the one that um, R.C. Sproul was a pastor in. If you look at that denomination, they are very well known for their intellectual approach to Scripture. Uh, They are going to know what they're talking about, and they're going to talk about it well and scholarly with wonderful education and background. Now, what we Southern Baptists have to do is the best of both those worlds. That's what we're called biblically to do in Scripture. We're called to be informed in our mind, educated by the Word, And then, as a result of seeing God more clearly, we become passionate. Do you know what excites me about worship? What excites me about worship is seeing God more clearly. The more clearly that I see who He is, the more passionate my worship becomes. The most noble end to which you can dedicate your intellect is the understanding, appreciation, and obedience of God. Sometimes when I'm in my office or at home and I'm writing a sermon, I think, oh, that's good, repeat that. Okay, so listen this time. The most noble end to which you can dedicate your intellect is the understanding, appreciation, and obedience of God. Verse 14 says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. So Paul says, what do we do? Here's what we do. We engage our spirit and we engage our mind fully in our worship. But I will sing, oh, I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. 
Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. We really, really need to be thinking people, but we also need to be spirit-filled people. With this group, I I don't really know which to emphasize (laughs) because we need both so desperately. Not that we're horribly lacking, I'm just saying we need both. Because that is what kind of worship is acceptable to God. Our worship needs to be joyful. And if we'll properly employ our minds, then I think our worship will become more spirited. I can enjoy a worship song that is repetitive because it gives me time to mentally chew on and and digest the truth about God that we're singing about. Now, I could sing of your love forever is an exception because they go, I could sing of your love forever. And then they prove that they can by doing it for the next 10 minutes. Okay, So that kind of thing that is just surface level, I'm not crazy about. But when we're singing some rich, beautiful truth about God and we sing it a few extra times, that's okay. Because I need it buried in my mind and heart and soul. Theology leads the believer to doxology. In other words, thinking rightly about God leads the believer to genuine and passionate worship. These Corinthians were all worked up. They had passion, but it was misdirected passion. We absolutely must have passionate worship based on biblical truth if God is to be pleased with our worship. Now Paul was not saying that prophecy is better than tongues because... Of sour grapes. He wasn't saying, hey, you guys are, are high on the tongues thing, but I don't have the gift of tongues, so I'm going to say that prophecy is better. No, instead of that, Paul said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. <laughs> okay, Paul was thoroughly gifted in the Spirit. He wasn't jealous, but then in verse 19, he says, Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 in a tongue. Thinking is hard, guys. Most people don't want to do it. If you don't believe me, watch the news, right? Digging in and understanding Scripture is hard. Learning how to properly understand and interpret Scripture is hard. It takes a little bit of work, and most of us don't want to do that work. We're going to have to read it and study it and spend time in it daily. We need to engage our minds and our hearts in worshiping God Not only here on Sunday, but every day. Guys, I think we have done a disservice to our people by calling uh, this a worship service. Now, I don't want to change that. It is a worship service. But somehow we get stuck thinking that worship is what happens on Sunday morning. Now, corporate worship, right, where we all get together, corporate worship is what we do on Sunday morning. But worship needs to be your lifestyle, not an event that occurs in your week. So on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and every other day, read the Word, pray. If you think that's radical and that's just for the preacher, then you've got to retrain yourself to think differently. I know that that's how I grew up. I grew up thinking Sunday was the church thing and the the Bible thing, and the rest of the time was I was supposed to be doing school 
I was supposed to be entertaining myself. Sunday, I was supposed to become religious. I was supposed to compartmentalize and take care of my dealing with God on Sunday. If you were reared that way, you got to retrain yourself to think differently. The number one thing that leads to spiritual growth for the believer is time personally spent in the Word every day. You can do it. Some of you read through the Bible last year. Do it again. (laughs) Do it every year until you die. Lord willing, I'm going to read through the Bible every year until I die. I'm also going to study in the Bible. Now some of you say, well, yeah, but that's what we pay you for. You have a job that you get to come up here and do that. And you're right. And it's a blessing. But I wasn't always doing this. Uh, I used to do sales and I used to do financial planning. And you know what I was supposed to do then? I was supposed to read and invest time in the Word every day. All right, so what do we do? We prioritize love for God, love for the saints, and love for the lost. We prioritize others over self. You know, a wise person said you can't fight and fish at the same time. Uh, You can't fight and fish in a boat. You can't fight and fish in the church at the same time. If we'll worry about fishing for men, we won't have time to fight about stupid stuff. So that'll take care of itself. Prioritize others over self. Next, we've got to prioritize worshiping with all of our hearts and all of our minds. Let me encourage you this week, when you're going through, uh, just, just spend, if you're out of the habit of doing Bible study, spend a few minutes in the Word every day. Just a few, so that you can prove to yourself that you can do it. The more I read the Bible, the more I want to read the Bible. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. But the more I discipline myself and do what I need to do, the more I love doing what I need to do. Let me close with this. If, if all this sounds like a bunch of rules, then let me tell you, you need the relationship so that you won't think about it being rule-based. You know, we have uh, a separation from God if we're lost. We've sinned. And upon sinning, we broke our relationship with God. God said, don't do this and do this. And we shake our puny little fist to God and say, we're going to do what we want to do. Well, that has broken our relationship with God. So how to fix that is, God sent His Son to live a perfect life that you should have lived but couldn't, and then to die a death that you deserve, but He didn't. And in that, He made it possible for you to exchange your sin for His righteousness. If you've never done that today, don't don't leave here without doing it. You might get blown away in a tornado tonight. Don't leave here without doing it. Come and talk to me, and I'll tell you how you can know that you are saved. All right, Jimmy's going to come in a minute and sing, and I want us to stand, and we're going to do three things here. We're going to have a time of reflection. So I want you to think about what we talked about. I want you to internalize it and commit to doing it. Guys, if we just look in the mirror and then we go away and we forget what we look like, it didn't do any good, right? (laughs) So we have to take what Paul said here and we have to internalize it and decide what we're going to do about it. Now, if you would like to come and join with us, join this church, we'll tell you how you can do that. If you would like to come and have me pray for you, it would be my honor to do so. And if you would like to come and make sure that your sins are forgiven and that your relationship with Jesus is solid, come and we'll talk about that. 
I can't save you. Praying a prayer can't save you. Walking an aisle can't save you. Jesus can save you, and I can introduce you to him. All right, let's stand together.